Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Laker Side Chats. I'm your host, as always, Alan Ramich, and today I'm bringing you a guest who not involved the Lakers per se, but is very up to date and very good with his knowledge of the NBA. He covers the Sacramento Kings. He's got his own network of podcasts that includes the Sacramento Kings podcast, the podcast with Damian Barling and Relive. I gave away who the guest is, but Damian Barling, mm-hmm. welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic, my friend. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming on. And, you know, for, for those of you that don't know, Damien Barling was on Dunks and Discourse with Jabari Davis a few weeks back to discuss the Black Lives Matter movement in America. So if you have not listened to that, you know, Jabari's a great friend of the show. If you have not listened to that, I recommend and implore you go back and listen to it to gain some knowledge about the whole movement and to understand why it's become such a big thing and why it should be in the forefront of everyone's mind at the moment. So first of all, I want to applaud you and Jabari, because I know they'll be listening later for that. So thank you for that podcast, first and foremost. Oh, man, I'm, I was happy Jabari had me on. It was it was a it was a it was a great idea. And it started uh, what wound up being a very, very long week of a lot of conversations, very similar to that one that he and I had on that podcast. And I just want to ask you before we move on to the NBA side of things, because as we know, there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of buzz the past 24 to 48 hours as to what's been going on in the NBA. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask you, how do you feel about the situation now? Um, do you feel like the protests have been helping much with the situation? I know it's very early days yet, but um, is there some type yeah. of change in America up until now? I mean, what you're seeing is you're seeing a different response to it. Uh, change is a really difficult thing to measure. You know, you're seeing the term Black Lives Matter or the, you know, those three words together. Uh, you're seeing that movement, that organization. You're seeing it more universally accepted. Uh, you're seeing it mentioned by companies who hadn't mentioned it before. Not all of them. Uh, some will choose to use the term, we've got to destroy racism, we got to have equality, but they don't really want to mention the term Black Lives Matter because when you put those three words together, you're going to trigger a certain group. But you're seeing a lot more acceptance of those words than when that group was first formed. Uh, I think we're at like seven years ago. And then when it really grew into prominence, uh, uh, it, it, six years ago or no, oh, it was four years ago in Ferguson. So, it, it, you know, it, again, change is a really difficult thing to measure. I, I know we're seeing legislature come in. We're seeing laws come in. We're seeing things. Things allegedly change in the police force. You know, Minnesota seems to be at the forefront of that. But what that actually all means is something we won't be able to measure for a long time. Um, A lot of people are saying the right things before when they just chose to stay quiet. So I guess if that's a measurement of change, yeah, there has been some change. Because obviously um, being in the U.K., we're, we're the, officially the first country to have anti-Black Lives Matter movements within the country. And obviously there are tons of people who feel that way in every single country. So I'm not just, you know, piling all the blame on us here. But obviously mm-hmm. it's still a huge issue. And, you know, first of all, I don't understand, like, how you can say that Black Lives, you know, how you can be so tone deaf, you know, I, because I feel like this is, I, I want to cover it in almost every single podcast that I do. Because I feel like it's such an important topic and, you know, until, like you said, until we get actual change where you can see it, you know, I know it'll take a long time, but I feel like it should be talked about constantly and it should be on the forefront of everyone's mind before it does change, you know. So. Anti-Black Lives Matter is what this country has been built on. I mean, it's it, it's it's nothing new here. You know, that we, we have anti-Black Lives Matter rallies. They're called KKK meetings. You know what I mean? Like those things have existed. Uh, for a long time, whether someone really has the, you know, if they really have the, the, the onions to go out there in a crowd and scream all lives matter or white lives matter or whatever they're screaming out, out there in England will be, that'll be an interesting thing to watch because that used to be something you did at night with a hood over your head. So if that gets, uh, pulled into the day, oh man, we've got an entirely, uh, separate issue on our hands here in America. Definitely. And one thing I, I just wanted to point out before we do move on to the NBA is the, the fact that what I have seen is, you know, the minority of people, you know, 
bad people in the world. There's, they're always going to be very vocal, you know. But um, the overwhelming, you know, majority of people that I've seen anyway have been, you know, fantastic and donated a lot of money. So there's been a lot of positive to come out of it, you know, and it's definitely a topic that, like I said, needs to be talked about all the time and we need to support it and push it as much as possible. But at the same time, you know, we need to, I, I, I personally want to commend so many people out there who are doing, you know, their bit, you know, you just look at the NBA and then, you know, hell, I never expected the NFL to come out and say Black Lives Matter. I don't know about you, but <laughs> that, that was the biggest yeah. surprise to me. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I also didn't take it seriously when they did. You know, there are a lot of corporations, you know, it's the, it's the trendy thing to do right now. It's the, it thing to do. It's the end thing to do. It's socially acceptable and you can get people on your side. And when you tell people, Hey, don't do this in our store. Don't do this with our company. Well, you get backlash case in point, Starbucks, Starbucks didn't want anything associated with black lives matter. The internet got a hold of it. Now all of a sudden Starbucks is all about equality. They're all about black lives. They're all about police reform and it's optics. These are companies running for a profit. They serve you know, some of them feel like, okay, we've got through this, you know, this shutdown of the coronavirus of COVID-19 and, you know, hey, oh, whoa, now we've got to, now we've got to deal with racial equality. Oh my gosh. Well, we couldn't do anything about COVID-19. So let's just say Black Lives Matter and hopefully people will buy our coffee or hopefully people will, you know, get their alcohol from us or, or work out at our gym or, or do whatever. And it's, it's the NFL is, they're no different than a lot of companies where you look at it and you go, at least with the NFL's history, it's like, ah, oh, nothing about you screams Black Lives Matter. As a matter of fact, you are the exact opposite of what that phrase stands for. But, okay, you're making an effort. So what does that mean moving forward? Well, I guess we'll find out soon. And, again, it, it goes back to your original question, has there been change? And you don't turn your, you know, I don't want to turn my head away from progress. If there has been progress made, great. I'm just very skeptical of some of it right now. And to be honest, as we all should be, um, you know, as much as I want to be positive about, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, positivity, you know, and a lot of people supporting the movement, you know, until, like you said, until we get further down the line, you won't be sure whether it is legit words or whether it is just, like you said, optics. And, you know, with a lot of these big companies like Starbucks, you mentioned, you know, not letting people wear Black Lives Matter shirts or, you know, supporting that yeah. cause, I think it's disgusting as a company. Um, I really do, like, you know, it, it it costs nothing and, you know, these people, you know, work for a horrible wage in most cases around the world and, you know, they have to be on top of the game otherwise they're going to get fired within, you know, the first instance of them making a mistake and then yeah, you can't let them support a peaceful cause like that, you know. Um, I personally will never get it. But I feel like this whole thing segues nicely into the NBA's discussion over the past 24 to 48 hours, and in particular the um, the meeting that Kyrie Irving and Avery Bradley seem to have led last night on Zoom with over 80 players, um, according to Shams Karania, the athletic who does fantastic work. Um, you know, there's a lot of trepidation, it seems like, within the NBA on the whole restart, especially within some of the players, but due to this movement, what's your take on it as to what has happened up until now? Well, I'm not sure that there's a lot of trepidation on it. I think we're just hearing a different side of it this time because for weeks, you know, really for the last, you know, over a month, it's kind of been just a situation where it's only a matter of time before the NBA returns. And week after week after week, day after day after day, we were hearing, okay, what could, you know, the NBA do? What could a return to the schedule look like? And then you would get something leaked by Adrian Wojnarowski or you'd get something leaked by Sam Amick or, or Ramona Shelburne. And somebody would have a little detail about, well, maybe it's 16 teams or 20 teams or 22 teams. And all we heard you know, really since the beginning of May, maybe even the end of April is, the NBA's return, the NBA's return, the NBA's return. What could an NBA return look like? What steps would they have to make? Well, now, now that the NBA return seems to be set, now that teams are within days of reporting to their home markets, now they're within weeks of getting on an airplane and flying to this, you know, metaphorical bubble in Orlando, now you're hearing the other side of it. And now I don't think there's a groundswell of players who are saying, well, we don't want to go or we have reservations. 
But I think there are players who are like, hey, this is concerning for a lot of reasons and we should be able to talk about it. Let's, let's talk about it. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't, I don't, it, it doesn't matter if it's Kyrie Irving leading the conversation or, or LeBron James. Like I, it, it doesn't matter the caliber of player. It could be the 12th man on, you know, the last team in the league. Like it, it none of that matters. If an NBA player who was a part of the union has a concern, they have, you know, the ability to bring it up. Now, Kyrie, you know, he, he, he's a high profile player. He, he, his, his views on different, Things in life have been criticized in the past. He's obviously one of the more, you know, unique players in the NBA. Uh, but I, there's there's no issue with saying, hey, you know, I know we're going to be making money out of this. And I know we're trying to make the league money. And I know we're trying to entertain our fans. But, you know, there are some concerns here. And let's let's make sure that if we return, let's make sure that we're safe, first and foremost. But let's also make sure that we can use our platform to forward this initiative that seems to have gripped our country right now about racial equality. Let's make sure we can push that forward and we don't just become a bunch of, you know, stats and box scores for a couple of weeks. And, you know, um, I don't know how you feel, but after reading Chris Haynes' reports and Chris Haynes I feel like always does a fabulous job you know covering the NBA I feel like he's really you know at the top of his game when it comes to stuff like that uh, after reading and then you know obviously we had the whole um, how, how how that storm over you know Kyrie Irving leading this charge against you know what's going on in the NBA at the moment earlier in the day I, I can't help but feel sorry for Kyrie because I, I feel like after reading you know what Shams put and then what Chris Haynes, how he put it as well. Um, I can't help but feel like Kyrie was made the scapegoat by some media out, out, outlets. And, you know, well, I, I don't know how, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like it was very um, tone deaf from some of them anyway. One of my, one of my, one of my favorite things to do is when a story breaks is to guess the source. It used to be a game we played on the radio all the time. Who was the source? Of this story. And when, when Chris Haynes writes, you can tell that guys like Chris Haynes, he has a rapport. And I think Shams does to a degree too. It's a little bit, it's a little bit harder to see with Shams, but with Chris, you recognize, okay, Chris has relationships with players in the league. That doesn't mean he doesn't have relationships with coaches or owners or general managers, but he seems to have strong relationships with players in the league. Adrian Wojnarowski has incredible relationships with front offices, with front offices and with owners. And when you look at the way that this Kyrie Irving story was covered by Chris Haynes and the way that it was covered by Adrian Wojnarowski, that tells you what the two different camps think of this story. The players, I think, not to say that they're thinking like me, but I think the players are open to listening. The players are like, hey, there's nothing wrong with addressing concerns. If we have concerns about anything, the league should be listening to us. The league is more of the mindset of we're rolling our eyes. Kyrie's being a crap disturber. He's causing problems like he always does. He has problems everywhere he went. He's such a pain in the ass. He's going to mess this all up. And you've got that side covered by Adrian Wojnarowski. Wojnarowski. And so... You know, is he a scapegoat? Yeah, maybe depending on like who you're reading. The fact that Kyrie is getting shredded by like credited, like credentialed, incredible media sources is freaking extraordinary to me. Like none of these guys, these people who are yeah. tweeting, you know, these so-called sports media people who are tweeting, some of them I really respect, like Seth Davis, like Seth Davis for real. Like you're you're down on Kyrie because he's raising concerns. There, there's this belief for some reason in this country that this pandemic is over this pandemic is not over but we're sending these guys out there to play a game we're sending these guys out there uh to increase their risk of exposure meanwhile the guys who are criticizing it are still very much at work at home orders like come on man what are we doing like clowns like doug gottlieb like are you kidding me talking about you know, he somehow invoked the name of Pat Tillman. Like, what, like there, there are, there are fewer bigger jackasses in sports media than Doug Gottlieb. And to make Kyrie Irving a scapegoat, as you said, is just absurd. 
he's raising concerns about something you should have a lot of concerns about. And unless you're one of those 1,600 people, unless you're one of those 1,600 people that's a player, a coach, a general manager, a trainer, or in any way associated with the NBA, you don't have to worry about it because you're not in this metaphorical bubble. And that's all it is, is it's a complete metaphorical bubble. It's not actually a bubble. They're not safe from COVID-19. They're not safe from someone, uh, you know, bringing that virus in, a hotel employee or, or hell, Mickey Mouse for all I know. Like, I, it, they're not. So anyone who is outside of that bubble has no right to criticize what these players are about to do or what these teams and league, what they're about to do. They have no right to criticize any conversation that they have. None. I feel like that was beautifully put, first of all, and I completely echo your sentiments when it comes to, you know, people who have a legit voice, you know, they use their voice in the wrong way, especially when it comes to matters like this. Like, we should be embracing the fact that the NBA is such an open community that people like Kyrie Irving can go out and get 80 people on a Zoom call, NBA and WNBA players. And have an open discussion like this. I feel like it's a fantastic thing to have to have that type of openness within that type of community. You know, you don't yeah, see it I mean, in many sports. Look, I mean, look at the, look at, look at Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball has turned a pandemic into a work stoppage. Like this was, this was the main, this was the sport that should have been back before everybody else. This was the sport that agreed to what a uh, uh, monetary compensation would look like. If they were able to, uh, if they were able to resume the season, they even had an agreement on the ultimate doomsday scenario as to what a canceled season was look, would look like. This is all the way back on March 26th, but yet here we are on June 13th and these two entities still don't have an agreement to come back and play baseball. You think that the NFL would have a player's call to where players are allowed to voice concerns about this upcoming season? Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> this is something that exists solely within the National Basketball Association and there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. You're right, Jay, you you hit you you said it perfectly. You have to invite this type of conversation. Like if you go to a business and your business says, "Hey, we all got to go back to work, man. All 1600 of 100 of us, we need to be back in the office on Monday." It's like, "Well, wait a minute. Like wh- hold up. Explain to me like one, why do we need to be back in the office? I've been working extremely effectively from home for the last three months. And two, is it really wise to bring all 1,600 of us at once? Is there a, a you know, a, a stagger way that could we do this? No, like you as an employee of a company should have the ability to do that. Whether that uh, employer pays you $15 an hour, $20 an hour, uh, $30 an hour or $30 million a year, you should have the ability to raise concerns about your working condition. And it, it shouldn't be a controversial topic either. Like, Not at all. I feel like the, the, you see different positions. Like, you see, you know, we are, we are a Lakers podcast, so, you know, you see Jared Dudley, you know, Jared Dudley is very open about the fact that you know, before any decisions made, he wants to educate some people as to what a complete cancellation this season would mean when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement, you know. So you have that position and you have Kyrie who's invoking the question and then you have the likes of LeBron who, you know, LeBron's been phenomenal when it comes to any type of social justice protests or spreading the message, you know. We've seen it, you know, for decade, almost two decades now with LeBron James, you know. Um so there's all these different types of messages, but I feel like they're all coming from one common um, thread where, and you can speak to this, it's all coming from one common thread where they all want the best for each other. That's what it seems like to me. They all want the absolute best for each other, but they just need to have these conversations to get to that point. Sure. And the, the only thing about Kyrie's, uh, some of the quotes that came out from that that, that conference call were, was Kyrie worried that this would slow you know, the progress of, of these uh, show, social movements that are, that are attempting to be made right now. And my, my feeling was the exact opposite because now you've got LeBron James in front of a microphone every other day. You got LeBron James virtually on national television every other day for the next, like, what, two and a half, three months? Like, uh, yeah, I'll take that. 
Like, put LeBron James there at the forefront. LeBron James is a great spokesperson for the movement. And LeBron James isn't the only one. Garrett Temple, I don't know how long the Brooklyn Nets are going to be around, but I know Garrett Temple isn't a marquee player that a lot of people know about, but he spent some time in Sacramento. And the friendship that I struck up with Garrett Temple was had nothing to do with basketball. It had nothing to do with the Kings. It was about our interest in social issues. It was about how we were driving forward that conversation. Our conversations with each other started because I knew who his dad was. His dad was the first black athlete at LSU. That was our, he, he was the first uh, black basketball player at LSU. That was our conversation. That was the, you know, the, the, the spark that started our flame to work on social justice issues here in Sacramento. So you put Garrett Temple in front of the media pretty regularly while Brooklyn is playing. Yeah, that's good for the movement. That kind of, and I, and I feel like Kyrie as a teammate of Garrett Temple, you know, would know that. This doesn't alleviate concerns about COVID-19 or the coronavirus or being away from your family or being in isolation. It doesn't eliminate any of that. All it does is speaks to the other point that he made when he's talking about we, we feel like we're making progress. We, we don't want to take away from that. I don't think you're going to take away from it by playing basketball. I think you're, you're going to amplify it. You're going to amplify it uh, significantly more. And, and I, I think only positives could come out of the, you know, the push to keep the movement going. I think only positives could come out of that if the NBA returns. I, I, I'm completely in your camp. I, I, I absolutely echo those sentiments. And I feel like, like you said, not just LeBron, Garrett Temple's a great example. You have the likes of Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon. You know, this yeah, is a Jaylen newer Brown generation awesome. of guys, you know. And, you know, as much as we are a Lakers podcast and I hate giving the Celtics props, you know, but Jalen Brown is a really cool dude who – Really smart. I don't know if you remember when people were saying when he came into the league that he's too smart to be a basketball player, which makes no right. sense whatsoever. Um, but like, it's good to have so many voices to be able to talk about this issue. And I feel like I understand where Kyrie Irving's coming from. Like, I, I honestly do because, you know, if it was a different league, you know, I'm not saying any names, but, you know, I covered the NFL, so I, I, I'd be skeptical if it was the an NFL and, you know, this, they were start, they were going to start playing in July, that, it, that all this would be swept under the rug. But especially with Adam Silver, I feel like there's a lot of scope for players to, um, peacefully protest, to get their point across and not be punished for it. And, you know, like you said, I feel like the whole social, um, justice reform, the whole, you know, social inequality reform, the Black Lives Matter movement, I feel like could only be um, pushed even to even higher levels when you have the likes of LeBron, even Kyrie Irving talking, even even if he's injured, you know, I feel like him talking on these issues, because as we know, Kyrie is very unique, but he's also a very smart dude when you listen to him at times, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's where a lot of, you know, the grief comes from. It doesn't come from his actual stance on any of this. It doesn't come from his questions about COVID-19 or or about, you know, the direction of the movement. It comes from, you know, he he didn't have the prettiest ending to his time in Boston, which he has acknowledged and he acknowledged why, and he's taken complete ownership. He didn't have the best ending in Cleveland. There were questions about his relationship with LeBron, despite the fact all of those questions have been answered. People still like to bring it up and hold it against them. And then you got the silly flat earth stuff. You got the, hey, Boston, is it okay if I come back and play with you next year type stuff? So there's there's a lot of, it's like there's a bunch of strikes against him, but he's that bad for something totally different right now, but you're still holding those strikes against him. And I never thought like there'd be a day where I go, you know, I kind of agree with Austin Rivers. But yet here we are where I'm saying I kind of agree with Austin Rivers when Austin Rivers went to social media and said, you know, I, I, I think the movement can only benefit from us playing. Like I, th- I think, I think there's only good that can come from it. And I, and, and I think that he's right in, in terms of the movement. Again, this is completely separate from, you know, concerns about the pandemic, but in terms of the movement, and I think Austin Rivers is right. And I was about to bring up Austin Rivers next. So it's like you read my mind because um, I thought Austin Rivers, you know, in, in that Instagram post, it was very lengthy, but I'd recommend everyone go take a read of it because I feel like he put his thoughts down very beautifully, like, you know, a very, very open and honest, you know, length of, you know, writing from him. But 
a very needed. I I I completely agreed with him, especially the way he stood um, for his comments, and especially when it comes to because let's flip the talk a little bit to COVID because I feel like that's the other major issue for players right now. Um, I understand people's trepidation behind it because COVID's huge, still in America. It's still a major problem, you know, most places in the world still, you know, there's, you know, in England, we're still basically on lockdown for the foreseeable. In America, the cases aren't easy in any time soon either. So yeah. I, um, how do you feel about sucks. that situation? Like, I just like, I mean, here in Sacramento, like I'm watching, we, you know, in real. California, we entered like, uh, what are we in phase three now of our reopening where, uh, we're starting, you know, bars are starting to reopen and barber shops are open and there, you know, some, you know, malls are open. Some of these different things are open. And, you know, I, I, you know, woke up this morning and, and, you know, looked, I, I saw, you know, social media accounts, both, you know, Twitter and Instagram and the amount of people who are just out there hanging out, like they just out there partying, like everything is completely normal and nothing is normal. We're the furthest thing from normal. The only thing about and this is happening all over the world. It's happening in Florida. It, you know, laws are looser in Florida. It's happening in Texas. Uh, it's 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 happening all across the country. And the only thing that gives me and I didn't see this until I, I think it was either I think it was this morning or late last night. The only thing that gives me hope for this NBA season finishing and 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 for this upcoming time in the bubble is Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci said, yeah, I, I saw the NBA's plan. Like I consulted with them and I think that this works. Like I, I think, I think it's, I think it's unique. I think they got really creative. I think they took multiple steps to ensure everybody's safety. And if everybody, and this is the part that I'm concerned about, Dr. Fauci said, if everybody follows the guidelines that the NBA has laid out, they should be able to finish their season successfully. My concern is not everybody is going to follow the guidelines that the NBA has laid out. And if that happens, well, you risk the exposure of a, a, a player, you know, to a teammate, teammate to a coach. And then, you know, you start to see a, a potential spread of it. You know, I don't know how quickly someone gets exposed to COVID-19, how quickly that positive test comes back. Because from what I understand, they're getting tested every day. So, the thing that gives me the most comfort is the fact that Dr. Fauci said it was good and the fact that he said he signs off on it, the fact that he says he's it's, it's very creative and he thinks it's going to work. When I heard that, I thought, okay, this is good. Because I started to have, you know, I started to have, you know, fear or fears is a strong word, but I started to be concerned that I, what if they start and don't finish? Like, what if something happens? Like, what would happen if, you know, use the Lakers, for example. What would happen if, like, six Los Angeles Lakers got the virus? Or, or you know, what, what if it spread, you know, to, to, to that level through one team, whether it's players, coaches, you know, the, the variety of personnel that are going to be there? Well, what if that happened and what would happen? Would that result? Because I feel like there's a scenario past, you know, obviously the patient zero, Rudy Gobert situation, we're not there anymore. Like we're further along than that. We know a little bit more about the virus than we did in March. We know a little bit more about the spread of the virus than we did back in March. So what is a scenario? Does a scenario exist? And I have to imagine that it does where the NBA has to go, oh, this didn't work. We've got to shut this down. I don't know if it's widespread cases around the league or if it's widespread cases within a league because they're preparing for teams to be without players, you know, they're, they're upping the, you know, two way players can go. They're upping the amount of, 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 you know, bodies that can actually be there. So it, it that shows you that they're prepared for teams, you know, to lose players, whether it's injury or virus, but would they be prepared for a team to lose a number of players? Would they be prepared for something like one player on all 22 teams? you know, to have the, have the virus or, you know, are, are we monitoring, you know, contamination rate and the rate in which it spreads like this? There's, there's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of questions that we just won't know the answer to until they all arrive in, in, in Orlando. And if they all arrive in Orlando, because they're getting tested in their home markets in about a week, a little over a week. All right. They're all getting tested when they get to Orlando on July 7th. So 
I'm not of the belief that, okay, we're all clear on July 7th. Everybody, they got tested. We're in the bubble. 1,600 people. Here we go. I'm not really of the belief that, oh, whew, thank goodness we're going to make it. You know, you still got to monitor everything really, really closely because you've got hotel employees. You got people who are going home. You got different things like that. And so it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's, we've never experienced something like this before. So I just hope. Uh, we get through it. I hope we can crown an NBA champion, and I hope there are no. Uh, I, I hope there's no setbacks. I hope because if there are setbacks with this bubble scenario, when the NBA we're in big trouble when college sports gets here. We're in big trouble when the NBA gets here, and I don't know how either of those entities, you know, could see an NBA plan in a bubble failing and feel like they can restart their leagues with with. Uh, with full comfort that their players and staff are healthy. And like you said, you know, the fact that, you know, Dr. Fauci has been corroborating with the NBA on the plans, very positive for the NBA, because that means you got the leading um, infectious diseases person in America who's, you know, okay and everything. So that's a very huge positive step, like you said. Um, the only thing that I would say about the NBA bubble is we, I don't know how much you follow European soccer. Um, in Germany, they've been playing soccer for the past month or so. And it's not like they've been in a bubble yeah. either. They've been playing behind closed doors, but they've still been traveling. So it's not even a case of, you know, they're all in one localized venue. It's just a case of they make sure that everyone is quarantining and isolating if they're at home. Um, so much as so, like, uh, a coach um, didn't have toothpaste the night before oh, a game. Oh, wow. And wow. he left his so hotel I wonder if that's who the NBA, or excuse me, I wonder if that's who the NFL is watching. Going to the game. Because I feel like the like, NBA is operating with the mindset of let's go with extreme caution and just get through this season. We, unlike the NFL, unlike college football, none of those sports, hell, even unlike baseball at the time, none of the sports had started. Those sports had not started. Basketball was, they're at the point now where we're just trying to complete the season and crown a champion. So I think they're being extra you know, extra cautionary, whereas the NBA might be following that, that, that European soccer model a little bit closer, like, because they want to be able to travel to venues. And my guess is, barring a complete major setback in the COVID-19 crisis, which I absolutely believe is coming, by the way, I think the NFL is going to take some of these states up on their offer. I think the Dolphins, which they should be used to this, are going to try to fill their stadium to 50% capacity as instructed by CDC rules. I think Jacksonville is going to attempt to do the same thing. Another team that's used to having half full stadiums, but I think that's going to put, you know, their max there. Texas, they've got the same edict. So old Jerry Jones, he's going to open up the stadium. And while he can't get all of his money, he can get some of that money back. And I think we're going to see that. I, I'm not even sure that our governor here in California, Gavin Newsom, hasn't said the same thing where potentially we could see the 49ers, uh, the, the Raiders now in Nevada. We could see teams. Uh, hosting NFL games with a certain number of fans. So I'd imagine the NFL is watching that European model really, really closely. Oh, wow. That's awesome. The reason I brought that up is they haven't had any positive tests. So it's been run very successfully. And I, my, my view on it is if, you know, obviously Germany has been at the forefront of technology and all sorts for the past 20, 30 years. They've been fantastic. You know, every step they take almost is a super positive one, apart from the VW scandal in America. But, you know, that's by the by. Um, when it comes yeah. to this, I feel like the NBA has gone for the safest, possible procedure that they can go with and you touch on it they've gone super cautious and i hope that players realize okay it sucks don't get me wrong being without your family for a few months it sucks like i'm not i'm not gonna you know 
um, spare my words when it comes to that. You know, I, I, I can, I can completely empathize with them, you know, when it comes to that situation. However, yeah. if they do agree to come back, they need to realize that for their sakes, their family's sakes and everyone around them, the best thing for them to do is to isolate, you know, like I said, I know it's horrible, you know, you know, especially for people who have multiple kids and wives and, you know, it's a bit more difficult for those people to be away from their families. But if they do want to come back, which I'm, I'm sure, I think they do. And I think we will have a season starting July 30th. Um, as Woj, uh, reported that they've moved it to July 30th now, the scheduled start day. Um, yeah. I, I just yeah, hope no, that I'm they realize that, okay, it will suck for a few months, but it's to protect everyone. It's not to punish anyone, if you know what I mean. Oh, very. Yeah. Cause I didn't think we would. Um, yeah, I so did not. I did on March 11th, 12th, Are you excited 13th, at the 30th. I did not think NBA we were going to see NBA basketball. It really wasn't until it really wasn't until the beginning of May that I started, I started to think, oh, okay. I, I, I went from, we're not guys, stop. We're not having basketball, stop. We're not having basketball to, oh, it appears we're going to have a, not only are we going to have basketball, we might have some semblance of regular season games as well. I went from one to the other in a span of like a day, like the news cycled so quick. It was, it, it just became apparent. Oh, this is absolutely happening. Okay. Let's do it. So yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm very excited. There's, I, I, it's so unpredictable, you know, like I, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to expect. Like I, I remember how good the Lakers were before, uh, you know, before everything shut down. I also know that I've been saying the Clippers are going to win the title all year. Uh, the Bucks looked like they were on pace to win 70 games. Then things went bad for them just a little bit. They dealt with a number of injuries. All of those injuries are going to be better when this, when this, uh, season resumes. So, you know, there's that dynamic of, of teams that, you know, there are teams that, that you see and you go, boy, you know, if, if they could just get a little bit of rest, they would be dangerous. Well, everybody has gotten that rest. So, you know, as long as guys aren't like terribly, terribly out of shape to a point where, they're kind of at the risk of getting hurt. I, I, I think we're going to see some, you know, incredibly competitive basketball, perhaps the most competitive uh, stretch of playoffs we've, we've ever seen. The, the people that I thought, you know, obviously it's a pandemic, so they absolutely made the right decision. Yeah. But I feel like the team that was hurt the most by the stoppage in play was a team like the Kings, because I feel like the Kings, you know, you, you can obviously attest to this. Um, I feel like the Kings were, were hot. I feel like they were, they were pushed. I know, I know people are focusing on Portland and Memphis, obviously were at the eighth seed and they've been fantastic, you know, with Jar and Jaron Jackson Jr. And that whole crew. Yeah, down those there. are in, in, you know, those, those, and those are all media stories. You know what I mean? Like the, the people, like the you, know, you know, ESPN really put out that article the own, other day you know, where they were talking about, you know, percentages of teams, you know, who could get the eight the seed from Memphis. And, and first of all, Memphis has a 65 game sample size in which they've been better than all of these teams, but we seem to just completely discredit them and look ahead. Well, imagine if we get Zion Williamson. Imagine if we get the storyline of the Pelicans against the Lakers. Imagine the storyline of the, you know, the new big dog in New Orleans, Zion Williamson against the old one who couldn't get it done, Anthony Davis. You know, you get those storylines. And then, you know, Dame Lillard is a, is a, is a league commodity. He's a, he's, he's a known, uh, commodity that, that media likes. And so they gravitate towards him. And meanwhile, you, you know, I think the Spurs are pretty much ruled out of it with the, the Marcus Aldridge surgery. The Suns, they're only there because we needed an even number of teams. They have no business being a part of this conversation, but, the Kings, there's nothing sexy about them, and nobody cares. When the fact is, the Kings were, you know, they were seven and three in the last ten games before the the season came to an end. You mentioned the the switch between Buddy and Bogey from starter to bench and that whole deal. They had a record, I think, of twenty one and ten, roughly about that in in, in during that thirty one game stretch that happened uh, right around the time of the All Star break, just before the All Star break. So. And then there's, you know, there's the story of Marvin Bagley, who's been dealing with, you know, injuries all year. Now, all of a sudden, he's had this long period to get healthy. But there's this, 
terribly dark cloud hanging over the fact that they haven't won games when he's played. You know, when he was in games and he was healthy, we were, you know, the Kings were terrible. So how that all plays out over the, you know, everybody has a certain number of unanswered questions. And perhaps no one is going to have a closer eye uh, on them than the Memphis Grizzlies. Because really, I don't think the Wizards are going to catch Orlando. I, I, I don't really think there's much intrigue there. But in the West, you you have, you know, Zion. You have all those different scenarios that we talked about with Dame Lillard and everybody else. And if Memphis comes out and loses on July 30th, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. It's going to be a mad dash to that. You don't even have to get to the eighth spot. It's going to be a mad dash to that ninth spot. And if you can get to that ninth spot and do the play-in scenario that they've laid out, well, I mean, I'm confident that the Pelicans think they can beat the Grizzlies twice in a row or any of those teams below them think they can beat the Grizzlies twice in a row. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. There's uh, there's, there's a lot of fun scenarios out there, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not good. Nope, not good at all. Um, and obviously, yeah, the Sacramento I, Kings head coach it's, is it's, someone it's, that it, is, it, uh, I don't know. It hasn't all been his Luke fault. Walton. You know what, what I mean? It just hasn't been in Sacramento. It, it's it's been a it, it's been rough. I just say it at that. It's it, it's been rough. It, but it's also you, to to be fair to him, their best player has been Rashawn Holmes, which was kind of an afterthought signing. Yeah. And you've had De'Aaron miss a chunk of the season. You had Bagley go down in the first game. Like Bagley got hurt against DeAndre Ayton and the Phoenix Suns in the first game. Uh, he didn't play again, you know, for, for weeks after that. Then he got hurt again. And so he's barely played this season. And he made this switch from Buddy to Bogey a little bit late. So, I, I mean, at least he made it. I don't want to criticize him for making it late. He was trying to do something. So it's been a... You know, it's been a tough first year, and it's hard for him because he's under a microscope, you know, by someone like me who thought, okay, like, it's cool that you're hiring Luke Walton, but maybe did you guys consider, like, having a coaching search? Like, did you consider looking at anybody else? Did you maybe think to talk to Monty Williams and think about what he might bring to the table? Did did that, like, cross your mind at all? And I'm metaphorically, you know, I'm, I'm kind of figuratively answering those questions because it didn't. They knew who they wanted when they when they when they fired Dave Yeager. They knew they were going to hire Luke Walton because they knew Luke Walton was going to leave his job with the Los Angeles Lakers. He was going to be given the option to leave. He was given the option to leave. He left two days later. He was the Kings coach. So it, you know they they were locked in on what they wanted to do. That was my only problem. But now you've done it. He's here. Let's let's see what he can do. I mean, the fact that the Kings are even in the conversation is sort of remarkable. Not necessarily remarkable for them but remarkable for how bad the West was. Like the Kings had losing streaks of five, eight, and six this year. And I, th- I when they were losing eight games in a row, I didn't think they were ever going to win another basketball game. I thought we were talking single digits break the Philadelphia 76ers record. It was so bad. And then, you know, they've been able to get it together. They never had a really long streak of winning games, but they would have a, They'd win two, they'd lose one. Then they'd win three, then they'd lose one. And that's how they kind of kept themselves in the mix. And then, of course, Memphis, who looked like, whoa, this is the biggest surprise of the year. They started to kind of fall down a little bit. And it's really the the Memphis Memphis Grizzlies play over the course of like a five, six-week stretch that has allowed this conversation of a play-in game. And, you know, these four extra Western Conference teams, or I guess it's five Western Conference teams, uh, to even have a chance. Yep, same gripe. Very familiar with that story. <laughs> we we're all very familiar with that story. Yep, um, same gripe. The biggest same gripe exact gripe. People have been saying that same exact thing Luke for Walton was uh, his the entire the entire um, regular season. How's yeah, that and, been? And, and believe me, everybody was well aware of what <laughs> Laker fans thought of his rotation uh, <laughs> heading into the season or, or or following the signing, and so he was under a microscope. You know, like we knew what the, you know, we we knew what people looked down on. We knew what the good was. You know, there was 
you know, the Lakers had improved on defense each of the years that he was there. The team had gotten a little bit better on the teams that he was there. And, you know, before, you know, I, I had said the year prior that before you guys got, you know, LeBron and, and Anthony Davis and all of that stuff happened, looking at the trajectory of your younger players, I remember saying, like, I know that this isn't going to sit well with Sacramento Kings fans, but the team that you should really aspire to be is the Lakers. Because look at how the Lakers' young players have improved together. And you saw the trajectory of what they were doing moving up. And then LeBron came, you know, and that and LeBron changes the dynamic, and, and, and rightfully so. So, you know, that was like my thought with the Kings is like, let's just hope to get that trajectory. And now Luke Walton is here. And still, you kind of hope to get that trajectory. You hope the players continue to get better. The problem with the Kings is they never seem to take a step forward. You know, they did that, you know, the year with Dave Yeager, last, you know, Dave Yeager's last year, which feels like an eternity ago here at this point, where, you know, they're a 30-something win team, and they massively overachieved. They were nowhere near the playoff conversation, but yet they massively overachieved. And the frustrating thing about this season is they weren't able to take a step back. And I asked, you know, as the before the regular season came to a halt was, is it, a, is it really a victory? For Kings fans, I mean, obviously, you want to make the playoffs. You want those home games in the playoffs. That's a plus. But what if they actually have a worse record in the process? Is that really a step forward? Is it a step forward just because the rest of the Western Conference was down and you made the playoffs? Because that's what the Kings were on pace to do. They were on pace to fight for a playoff spot while still finishing with a worse record than they did last year. So they've had this inability to take a step forward. And that's where our frustration lies is Kings fans wanted Luke Walton to be that step forward, and he was not. From from an outside perspective, whenever I've watched Sacramento, it, it seems like it's really close, but I don't understand what is holding them back at times. Like I, I honestly can't work it out. Um, like rotations are, are an issue because you know I I watched Luke Walton for you know yeah the, the time he had in the Lakers and. There was times where you'd rip your hair out at the, the the substitutions he made and the players that he made to put. Yeah, with. they're but not young. Sometimes, you yeah, know, in the midst of yep. all that crazy rotation, yep. they're, 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 they're not young. There's and, really no. You know, it would look really they, good together. You're asking the questions that everyone like it's a lot of the same at the Kings as well. Like, why know? can't we do it? Why, why do we have a bit to be more so of bad defensively? Team, though, why has our and you know with the number two overall pick like Bagley? You know, not hitting the home run that Luka Doncic is hitting, it 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 just it just adds to the to the constant frustration that being a fan of this franchise uh, is for people out here. Yeah. And. Especially when it comes to Doncic, um, obviously I'm from the ex Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. So when when the Kings yep. got the second pick, and I was 98 percent sure that the Suns would take the Andre yep. in which again I didn't understand because I watched Doncic every single day. And when when they and then when they hired Igor Kokoshkov, who's now the associate head coach in Sacramento, I was like, are they hiring him to draft Luca number one because that would make the most sense? But then as soon as Phoenix went past Luca. I was thinking Sacramento's got to take him. Like, you know, Vlade Divac, um, obviously, Laker, I, I think he was great for the Lakers, you know, as a player, especially that first thing, you know, the, the obviously the second stretch, yep. he was injured, you know, the, sec- the the last season of his career, you know. But I, I, was, I thought for sure he was going to take uh, Doncic, but obviously Marvin Bagley, you know, if you watched him at Duke, Marvin Bagley was very impressive. But it seems like injuries have held Bagley back. And it seems like with that entire draft class, even with Trey Young to an extent, 
because they're not Luka Doncic. Yes and no. Everyone looks down on I, I guess I'm, I'm more but, of a jaded you know, point of view I feel because like a lot of those players, Bagley included, I feel of like all those guys, Bagley's really, probably really the good worst. in the NBA. Like the but Hawks are very, very happy Luka, to have Trey Young. Not Luka Doncic, but they're very the happy to have Trey Young. I'd argue that the Memphis Grizzlies are very, very happy to have Jaron Jackson. Uh, meanwhile, we're here like, uh, are we even signing this dude to a second contract right now? And you're right. It's been injuries. It's been the way, you know, Dave Yeager just refused to start him uh, his rookie year, even when he was clearly one of the best players on the floor. He just refused to start him. He had this weird, uh, I say weird because it's kind of uncommon. It was like, I think it was like a thigh injury, or, or at least that's what they told us. And so he wound up missing, you know, the final some odd games of the season after the Kings were out of it, and it wasn't a big deal, but it was still – all right, this isn't going the way we want to. I mean, I, your point is taken, but I, I still think I, I, I think the Hawks and the Grizzlies are both happy with who they have. Meanwhile, we're here just praying to God he turns into what we all thought he would be. And that Luka Doncic doesn't win the MVP next season. Very possible. Yeah, very possible. Um, obviously, which is very possible, by the way. <laughs> um, obviously, just before I move on to the Lakers, it's my last point. I just want to ask you a question about Luca because, I, obviously, I'm I, again. I, I always say when it comes to ex-Yugoslavian players, I'm very biased, and I make no qualms about that. <laughs> you know, um, with Luca. I don't remember ever seeing a 20-year-old since LeBron James be as good as he is straight away um, in his second season because I think he's sublime. And I always yeah, question uh, other people about it Luca, because, you, like I, I said, I'm biased I didn't expect towards these players. I, one of, my so biggest, I always uh, ask you know, we all have to own to in sports media the things that I, we I say that are wrong. I want to hear their opinion on it as well. Uh, some people so, don't. I do. What is your opinion I was wrong on about the Mavericks before we move like, on to I didn't, the You know, everybody was hyping up the Mavericks as, you know, and how good they were going to be and they were going to contend and, you know, contend for playoff spot. And I thought, wait, what? Like, man, you're putting a whole lot of pressure on Luka Doncic to get this done in year number two. Like, is he going to improve significantly <laughs> over what he did in year number one? And the answer is emphatically, yep, he sure the hell is. And he did. And, and what I did, what I failed to do, and this is, I guess this is just being a, you know, being here in Sacramento for so long and not, 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 you know, paying enough attention. What I didn't do in my evaluation of the Dallas Mavericks is I didn't give Rick Carlisle enough credit. I didn't give Rick <laughs> Carlisle enough credit in the sense that, this was a team that has a strong rookie that's going to go through a quick rebuilding process, and he's going to be able to get him acclimated quicker than a coach like Luke Walton would or a coach like Dave Yeager would or the way that most coaches in the league would be able to. So that's where I I, I completely had a misstep with the Dallas Mavericks. And, you know, Luka is, is, is everything every international scout said that he was. He's everything every YouTube fan said that he, that he was. Uh, and the fact that he was really, really good his rookie year and managed to be significantly better his second year is a pretty extraordinary accomplishment. Yeah. Yep. No, you're 100% right. Like, I had this conversation right. with a couple of um, previous guests I've never seen a rookie who was as good as he was in his rookie year and then be able to make an argument that he could be the most improved player in the NBA as well. <laughs> you know? So I just want to move on to the Lakers because it is a Lakers podcast, you know, so we have touched a lot on the NBA, um, which I feel like it was very needed because, you know, not been much Laker news apart from, you know, LeBron obviously wanting to play and then Avery Bradley was part of that call and whatnot. But I feel like that was just a wider NBA issue. It wasn't just, you know, this is Lakers versus Laker or something like that. No, I definitely um, expect that. What did you make good. of the Lakers before um, the I think pandemic? We were seeing, because everyone uh, seems you know, to have people talk about a motivated LeBron James. Lakers I don't think were, LeBron James is ever not motivated. But you can see I don't know something different in him this time. You can see his excitement about playing as good as they were from the offset. You can see his excitement to be able to distribute the ball in a way that he hadn't been able to do uh, you know, for for a couple of years there at the end of his run with Cleveland. So 
No, I, I was, I was in on the Lakers, but full disclosure, as I, I think I said this, you know, a few minutes ago, I was actually in on the Clippers winning the NBA championship. So while, you know, we may be headed towards a Western Conference final, uh, with the Lakers and the Clippers, it would be silly of me to, I can't change my pick now. I can't change my pick until the Clippers are eliminated. I've been riding with this Clippers pick since before Kawhi got there, since I first got wind that he was, he was going to sign or, or was, uh, at least considering signing with the Los Angeles Clippers. So I, I, I like the Lakers and I wouldn't be shocked if they won the NBA championship, but I still think it's, it's, it's the Clippers. I think they're the one. The one thing that I don't think is strong, again, this is pre-season suspension. Who knows what it's going to look like, you know, in July and August, but pre-season suspension, the one thing that I thought that the Clippers had the Lakers beat at, and I thought this was going to be really important, was their bench, was their depth. I thought they were a deeper team. They were obviously, they being the Lakers, were very top-heavy and are very top-heavy with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And I don't think Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are significantly below them, but I thought that their bench was deeper. And that was ultimately what was going to be able to beat them. But now, you know, with the rest of LeBron, arrested Anthony Davis, with 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 all, you know, all sides equal now. And a Dwight Howard who was really playing, you know, pretty well. You know what I mean? Like we all we we kind of look at Dwight and we he's, you know. Whether fairly or unfairly, he's kind of laughed at. I think he was like seven and seven or eight and seven or something. Man, that's not bad. Maybe you want a couple of more baskets from him, but that's, that's really not bad to have there, uh, you know, to work alongside with and to back up Anthony Davis. So I, I, I love the Lakers team. I think they're phenomenal. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to see if we get down to, you know, I, I feel like, the best teams in the league are the the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, and I think it's the Celtics. So I I know that you know Toronto sits above them, and and Toronto's going to have something to say about who comes out of the East. But I'm interested interested to see if we can get down to those four teams, what it all looks like. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> Me neither. I, just wanted to I didn't even know. Point, I, I, did, I didn't know. Why, I really didn't know, I know what his status you, was know, with, with the Laker fans. fans. I was almost you know, hesitant to bring his name up, but I thought I thought that he had done reasonably well. I would this never year have. I think he had done more than reasonably well. Like he had, he's not. He's not the guy who's established. Like Dwight Howard's a Hall of Famer. Like he's not. You know, like in you know the top of the Hall of Fame career right now but he's he's playing very well oh. I think he's been phenomenal No question he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, I just want to say that because if you win four, it's three yeah. or four defensive players uh, of the years in a row. Like, you know, the dominance he had at one point was ridiculous. Like, I know he had this last couple of years where, you know, it didn't go right, right for him. Um, basically, ever since he left Houston, because I think people forget that he was really, really good in Houston. Like, legitimately yeah. was fantastic. Um, but with Dwight, I'm so glad to see, you know, him and Derrick Rose. And I know we're talking about the Lakers, but I'm so glad to see these two. Yeah, players I mean, and rightfully who, so. You know, at their peaks were so so. He's, he's, good. he's a good redemption. You know, was so exciting you know, for, to watch for as Laker well. for for Laker fans because I know get back on the I'm side. I'm sure they didn't think very highly of him. You know, that year he was there, and then the year you know, that he left. So him. you know, to kind when of have this moment. Dwight, uh, it's kind of, I, I don't know. You'd be surprised just how much a Laker fans love To a certain degree, him. I guess, like, make seriously. it right. It, it, it's um, good. I think it's good for everybody involved. Things. Yeah.
Well, when I got wind that Dwight was signing, I know we've touched on Dwight a lot here. But when I got wind of Dwight signing, I was told, look, he's 80% athletically what he was. Like, he's going to be good. It's just a case of whether he can, you know, adapt to the role of coming off the bench and being that, you know, energy guy, that backup center. And credit to him. We've seen how difficult it is for Hall of Fame players to adapt to that role at the end of his career. The fact that he's been so willing to embrace it and share the minutes with JaVale McGee and I think more so with Anthony Davis at the five during the playoffs is a testament just to how good the um, the atmosphere around the Lakers has been this year because I don't feel like it's been contrived at all. Yeah. Um, obviously, you, you cover it from Sacramento, so you have some beat anyway because it's the same division. Of the right. Rivalry between yeah. the Kings and the Lakers. Yeah. But yeah. I really feel like the atmosphere yeah. within the Lakers organization as a whole has been phenomenal this year. And obviously, you know, we've had some very tough times with the passing of Kobe Bryant and, you know, COVID and all sorts of stuff. And then people forget about the whole China, you know, situation in the preseason. And it's been a crazy year for the Lakers. And, you know, I, I'm really confident. Um, obviously, the Clippers are fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm Definitely oh, not yeah, discounting the amazing. fact that the Clippers yeah, are really, sure. really that'd good. That'd be amazing. But there's just some Absolutely. part that'd of be me incredible. that wishes in this crazy pandemic year, you know, where sports will basically be our beacon, you know, for the next few months once it comes back. Having a Lakers-Celtics yeah. final, there's just some poetic justice about that. You know, so I- I'm very excited because I feel like... Oh, you know, to round up the podcast, you know, like you said, I feel like the depth for the Clippers is better, but I feel like the addition of Markeith Morris in particular is going to be huge for us because that's a guy who you can have a play as a four, or even as a small ball five because he's strong enough to do it. Oh, no, it's um, legit. Like, they've, they've got you know, a chance. I mean, he, he, it, we obviously know, have no idea what this to, is all going to look like when it all starts up on July 30th, but I can't AD, imagine you know, a LeBron James-led team is unmotivated. As as he came so, in if I'm right in that aspect, and I don't know that any team, you know, coming back from this virus, especially a team that has a legitimate chance, you know, maybe the Pelicans aren't as motivated. Maybe the Kings aren't. Maybe the Blazers aren't. Maybe, maybe like, Orlando isn't as motivated. But the Lakers, they know they've got a chance to win this NBA championship, and they are. Uh, I, I'm I'm excited to see what they do. Absolutely, I'm excited to see what they do. And I'm just excited to have, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited, Damien, to have been able to talk basketball because it feels like it's been forever since we've been able to talk, you know, just generally with anyone about basketball, about the real possibility of seeing basketball within a month's time, you know, within six weeks time. It, it for me, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm over the moon. Yeah, I think so too. I think no. we're at that point Whilst where we are. there is still certain issues to work out, I think between the Players Association and the league, I, I'm sure you believe the same thing that we will, you know, barring any catastrophes with COVID, I think we will see a resumption of the season on July 30th. Yeah, definitely. I have a um, uh, daily so podcast that posts uh, every up, single you know, morning, at least. Damien, I really want to thank you for California. coming on the show. Uh, I feel like it's this called the podcast with Damien Barling. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, wherever you get like your podcast from. Uh, you can find so the podcast with Damien Barling. You'll probably see some other podcasts associated with me as well. One is called Relive. It focuses on professional wrestling, great moments in professional wrestling. It's a new series. It's a documentary-style podcast, so if you're a wrestling fan, New or old, I'll think you dig that. And if you want some more information on what I do, you could just go to DamienBarling.com. That's the official website, DamienBarling.com. I appreciate you having me, man. Thanks. This was fun. There you go. I appreciate it. It's at Damien Barling. I'm very uncreative with stuff. I just use my name for everything. And be sure to give Damien a follow on Twitter as well. 
I, it works. Damien's one of the remember. good dudes. In, I'll in never the forget world, it. So <laughs> definitely give Damien a follow. That, that, that's my advice to everyone. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, to listen. <laughs> but you know what? That's the best way to do it sometimes. There's no need to experiment. <laughs> Thank you to everyone listening. I hope, you know, we, we brought you some type of um, clarification on the issues going on in the NBA. And, you know, if you didn't, you know, it's a very um, sensitive time around the world. So please, everyone, stay safe, whether you're protesting, whether you're still going through COVID. Um, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you find your, your podcasts. Um, definitely hit us up on Twitter. I, 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 I'm, I'm always up for a debate. I'm sure Damien is too about his opinion. You know, I don't shy, shy away from my opinion. I'm sure Damien's exactly the same. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. You know, I don't shy.